as you remain standing in body or in spirit, will come before God's word, very likely as Jesus and the disciples would, reciting what was known as the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, and then Jesus added Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself, and gave them the great commandment. So we'll, you'll follow after me in Hebrew. We'll do it together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from Genesis, the second chapter. It is part of the creation story. Thus, the heavens and the earth with all, uh, and were finished with all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God finished the work that God had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from the work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on that day, God had rest had rested from the work of creating that he had been doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I read this week that in China, if, uh, if you ask somebody, how are you, the polite response is, I am very busy, thank you. And uh, I guess that means I'm doing well enough to keep a lot of things going. But it seems to me that's sort of a typically American response. Think how often when we're in conversations with people, they tell us uh, all the things they have going and how busy they are. Or at least, admittedly, often I do that. When people are asking how I am, I might give them a one-word answer. And then if they press me, I'll tell them all sorts of things that are going on. Uh, And it seems rather American uh, to wear your busyness actually as a badge. Most of us would never brag about lying or stealing or coveting or uh, using God's name in vain, but we don't seem to hesitate to talk about all the activities we've got going where we don't have time for rest. Uh, it seems, as I mentioned, kind of, uh, kind of American. I know that sometimes I even have a sense of shame if I don't have something to do, if I'm not busy. I remember uh, several years ago, I still had a child at home, and it was actually kind of a slow week at work. So two days in a row, I was really finished earlier than usual. So I took the long way home and made two stops so that I wouldn't get home any earlier than I normally do, so my son wouldn't think I was out there not doing anything. It is sort of a badge of busyness. Scott Hare talked about the summer that he lived in uh, Jerusalem. And so it was the Sabbath. The Sabbath had just begun. And as you know, uh, most of the Jews in Jerusalem are uh, secular or religious Jews. So there's wide um, observance of the Sabbath. And so he is walking toward the apartment where his family's staying. And, and a man comes out of his apartment waving his arms and yelling, American, American, American. And so Scott kind of looks, well, well, yeah, you know, I'm an American. And the man hurriedly waves him inside the house. And so uh, Scott goes inside the house and notices uh, that the, uh, everybody in the family is just like, they, their big smiles break out in their face. They're thrilled to see him. And they all point to the kitchen where there's a boiling pot that's overflowing. And because it's a Sabbath, they can't reach over and turn off the knob. So they needed the American to do it for him. 
And when Scott was talking about it five years later, this is what he said. Isn't it interesting that he didn't come out and go, Gentile, you know, goyim, goyim, didn't do that. Nor did he say, Christian, Christian. He said, American, American. And Scott said he figures that's because everybody knows in the world knows that Americans aren't any good at keeping Sabbath. They wouldn't think to do that, would they? The badge of busyness seems particularly American. But also, I think, we might see it as a sign of honor in our life, but I'm wondering if it's more a sign of an open wound. When you look at the Bible, it's pretty clear that God instituted the Sabbath and, interestingly, instituted the Sabbath in creation way before Moses and the Ten Commandments. The whole idea of Sabbath predates by thousands of years. The idea of keeping the Sabbath as a commandment. And we're told that it rests in the fact that God kept the Sabbath. God created. In fact, in Jerusalem, they still say to this day, God didn't do any work on the Sabbath. God still doesn't do any work on the Sabbath. So if you're doing work on the Sabbath, you're outside of God's will. Pretty serious stuff. Thought about that. And when I thought more about it, I realized that not only is Sabbath woven into the fabric of creation, there are many people who believe the pinnacle of creation in the biblical story is not the creation of a man and woman, but actually the creation of the Sabbath itself on the seventh day. Uh, So people look at that and they see that creation is woven, uh, I mean, Sabbath is woven into creation. And if you Flip ahead in the New Testament to Hebrews, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. You see that Sabbath is there into eternity as well. It starts at the beginning. It goes on forever, this idea of rest. We rest because God rests. Have you ever heard it said of somebody who was very wealthy? They have more money than God. We might also say of people who are too busy to rest, they're more important than God. Because God had to rest. And apparently still rests, but we don't. So it seems to me one of the benefits of carving time out of our week to rest is that we are imitating the God we claim to worship. But I want to flip that a little bit this morning and tell you I think there's some costs to not making the time to rest. And a few of these you've probably heard, um, uh, a few of these you may have heard me mention before, but uh, sometimes it's really fun to hear what you've already heard, so it, it sounds familiar. And uh, uh, But I've mentioned them, I think, at different times. And the first one is when we rush through life at a busy pace, one of the things that it costs us usually is our relationship with the people we claim matter most in our life. It was a couple couple decades ago that uh, psychologist Lewis Grant coined the phrase sunset fatigue. And what he meant was sometimes we go so hard all day at whatever it is we're doing that when we get home in the evening... With the, and we're there with the people we love, we no longer have time or energy for the ones we claim are the most important. It's already been used up. It's already been spent. Uh, relationships with others are affected as, as we move busily through our life and don't make times either daily and weekly uh, to rest. You probably heard the old story a few decades ago about A father that went to work every day with his briefcase and came home with his briefcase. And after dinner, while the kids were still up, he'd open on the dining room table and start doing work from the briefcase. And so finally, his second grader asked him, said, Dad, why do you always bring a briefcase home? And he said, well, because it has my work in it. And he said, 
well, why do you bring your work home? I said, why don't you do it at work? And he said, well, daddy just has more work to do. uh, And they give him more work to do than he can do in a day. And so he has to bring it home. So the second grader thought about it for a minute and then said to his dad, couldn't you ask to be in a slower group? And the fact of the matter is, we really choose that group. In many ways, we've chosen, um, we've chosen the pace at which we live, and it's really not healthy to the relationships we claim are most important. It also, I think it's not even helpful uh, to our own depth of our spiritual being, our, our souls. You may remember a couple weeks ago, we started this whole series off with Jesus' wonderful invitation, you know, come to me. Uh, those of you who are weary and, and you're burdened and I will give you rest and, and learn from me and take my yoke and you'll find rest for your souls. There's something about our faith that should deepen our souls, but that typically hasn't been the case for North American Christianity. Some decades ago, Richard Foster, uh, the great writer on spiritual matters, said that superficiality is the great curse of our age. And I don't think it's improved any in the last few decades since he said it, there's something uh, about growth and depth in our life that demands that we slow down. Or one person has written, everything of significance in life demands an unhurried spirit. I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard a person described as deep and hurried? Just that person doesn't exist. They said this of the great Abraham Lincoln. They said he read less but thought more about what he read than any other great person of his time. There is something in the slowing that allows seeds to be sown in the soul uh, that expand into greater um, maturity. Uh, And then, I think, our cost of our life with God uh, is the third thing. We're affected in our life with God when we can't slow down. And when we can't make that time and space, Bill Hybels, the pastor in Chicago, likes to use this analogy. Uh, if you think of a tachometer in your car that tells you how, ma- at how many RPMs your engine is running, um, he said, you know, most of us uh, run our cars. And, you know, I, I like so I monitored it on the way in this morning. Mine went from anywhere from 12 or 1300 RPM to occasionally it might hit 2000. I was on access roads. I wasn't doing much. You might hit 2500 or above unless you're a race car. But he said the fact of the matter is, really, as human beings, we kind of live our lives at that 5,000 RPM, and God seems to speak at 500 RPM. God seems to communicate with us when we're idling more than when we're racing through our existence. And I thought about it and think, I thought, you know, that's really, that's really true. If I'd have been Elijah, I probably wouldn't have been quiet enough to hear the still, small voice of God. Or if I'd have been Moses... I probably wouldn't have slowed down enough to even notice the burning bush that was talking uh, to me. Because the things of God generally demand that we be, for a while, resting and idling. And so our life with God is affected. Think about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is pretty important, right? Did a lot of good stuff. Very busy. But one of the things we see in the scriptures, Jesus is always keeping the Sabbath. We see that Jesus is getting up early in the morning before everybody else. And going and spending time and quiet and solitude and prayer. And I keep thinking, if he had to do that, what about me? As he knew, one of the costs of busyness and rushing from, the same, from thing to thing is not just relationships with others, not the depth of our own soul, but even our 
most important relationship, our relationship with God. But having said all that, I have to tell you that when I was studying this week, I realized there's a new cost uh, that comes that I hadn't thought about, uh, that comes when we don't slow down, when we don't rest. And this is how I found, I found out. I read about that uh, on the Jewish Sabbath that one of the things they'll do is they'll light two candles. They mark the beginning of the Sabbath at sundown on Friday, and they mark the close of the, of, the, of the Sabbath on Saturday. But with the beginning of the Sabbath, they mark it with a special prayer, uh, and, uh, and they light two candles. And the two candles they, they light are these. They light one to remind them of the command to rest. So we light this candle because we, rem- we remember we're commanded in the, in the Ten Commandments to rest. But the second one they light to remind themselves that they are free. And I thought about that, and I think there is an intense and deep correlation between rest and freedom. We are able to rest because we are free people. And when we do not rest, we fall back out of freedom, and we end up being enslaved to other things or other people. There was a wonderful book written on the Sabbath uh, by um, the late Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, best book written by a Christian or, or Jew, most everyone who would agree he's expert on the subject. But he said this, he said, inner liberty, inner freedom, depends on our ability to be independent from the domination of things and people. Our inner freedom demands our and depends on our ability to be free from the domination of the pursuit of things or the opinions of people. And Sabbath is that one day in the week where we stop trying to produce to get that other thing or to stop trying to produce to impress these other people. It is the one day we establish that we are free and the one day that actually cements our freedom. Christian theologian Karl Barth put it this way. He said, a being is free to the extent at which they can determine their activities and the limits of those activities. In other words, if you have a choice of what to do and when you can stop it, you are free. If you do not have a choice to stop, you are not free at all. And I thought about that. Most of us here um, are uh, probably not working by the hour. Some are, but most aren't. And so most of us make some decision, retired or on salary, where we decide we're going to stop today. Because there's always more we could do. Always more we can do in retirement. There's always more we can do in work. And so the decision to quit and stop is always arbitrary. And we are truly free if we can make that decision and move the decision up in such a way that it creates a space, a rest, or a Sabbath. And to the extent that we cannot make that decision with our work and with our time, we are not free. One of the ways that scholars put it is if you think about it, the Sabbath was created on the seventh day. And so the first six days of creation and everything that's implied there is dependent on the seventh day. If we don't take the time to rest, then everything that we have done eventually will become unraveled. And so I have learned to think of my weekly rest, my weekly Sabbath, to be my own weekly July 4th. It's my own day to say, look, I'm independent I'm independent of of these things that I'm trying to accomplish. I'm independent of people's opinions and perceptions of me. 
the world can run without me for a day. It's a, it's, it's a statement that says, I'm free. And every week I need to restate that I'm free in order to continue to live in that freedom. It is my day to say no. Barbara Brown Taylor, a pastor and theologian, I wrote a book uh, with a chapter called An Altar in the World, and, and she wrote a chapter on the Sabbath, and she made this observation. Um, she lives out in the country, and she said she thinks to sit out on the porch and look out on the country uh, is something that honors God. It is rest, and, and there's something she could do in the garden. There's something they could do in their fields to bring in a bigger harvest now out there in the country But she said, if you worship the God that says your harvest has to be bigger and you have to do more, then she says very plainly, you have the wrong God. God of the Bible allows you to say no to things by saying yes to rest in God. And so weekly, it's my my day of independence. Uh, And to do it, I have to say no to things that people might want me to do and might even impress folks or get me further down the road. But on this one day, this one day, I worship a God that doesn't say, go bring in a bigger harvest, but a God that says, enjoy the harvest that's been brought. Uh, One of my favorite stories from years ago was a professor at a, a very famous seminary in the United States, And in his office, on his desk, where normally somebody might have like a plaque with their name on it or whatever, he had a plaque, and when you walked in, it said this, I hereby now resign as boss of the universe. And I thought how helpful a reminder that must have been to everyone who walked in that room. And I simply want to tell you that by keeping a weekly day of rest, it is my way of saying to myself, to my family, And to the world, I hereby resign as boss of the universe. I don't have to spin all the plates today. I don't have to keep peddling so the world will keep turning on its axis. It's not up to me. I can trust that the God who created this world can keep it going for a day without me. It is my day to say no to the things of the world by saying yes to God, and I resign as boss of this universe.